John chapter 21, from verse 15 to 25. I'm reading from the English Standard Version of the Holy Word of God. John chapter 21. Today will be my last uh, episode in the book of John. I've been in the book of John for the past two years, and it is, um, it is with, with, I don't know, with mixed feelings to see that we are leaving this book. Of course, I'll be back in it. I'll always be in the book of John again and again for uh, other truths that we pass over because of the intention of my series. Is my sound clear for all of you? Okay, good. Verse 15 of John chapter 21, 15 to 25. When they have finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, or Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he says to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciples whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is that going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the disciples, among the brothers, that these disciples was not to die. Yet, Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But Jesus said, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that? It's not today we'll be misunderstanding, eh? Start. You can see how John is trying to make sure this thing is clear. But what people are hearing is that this man will not die. John will not die until Christ comes back. But Christ never said that. 24. This is a disciple who is bearing witness about these things. And who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. 
were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that will be written. This is the word of the Lord. Church, let us pray together. Father, let this entrance, the entrance of your word, minister life to us from the preacher to the hearers, that no one escape the sword of the Holy Spirit in this house today. Bring us to our knees. Turn us over and make us conformable to your image. And even now, do a miracle among us today and let sinners turn to you and let sins be confirmed and encouraged. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please return to your seats. I want to enter this conversation this morning by quoting John Calvin. And I recall I was, I was mentioning this the last time I was preaching at Brother Jibby's wedding. Calvin, John Calvin, uh, a French uh, reformer who lived in Geneva in the 17th century, says something about us. And he said, that should be in book two or book four of the Institutes. He said, unless I am mistaken, we have sufficiently proved that man is so held captive by the yoke of sin that he can, of his own nature, neither aspire to do good through resolve nor struggle after it through efforts. Besides, we posited a distinction between compulsion and necessity from which it appears that man, while he sins of necessity, yet sins no less voluntarily. But while he is bound in servitude to the devil, he seems to be actuated more by the devil's will by his own. It consequently remains for us to determine the part of the devil and the part of man in an action. Then we must answer the question whether we ought to ascribe to God any part of evil works in which scripture signifies that some actions of his intervenes. And he quotes Augustine. So Augustine, Augustine of Hippo, that is the African fathers, compares man's will to a horse awaiting a rider's command, and God and the devil to his riders. And Augustine make, uh, made the inference to suggest that if God ride a man, his actions will be righteous and Godward. But if devil sits astride, if the devil sits and and move the man the way the horse rider moved the horse, the, the results, the effect will be uh, foolishness and wanton uh, riding uh, into ditches and tumbles over cliffs. The point that Calvin is trying to make is that by our nature, we cannot do good by making a resolve 
to say as the year is coming to an end, I will smoke my last pack of cigarettes. By December 31st, I'll finish with all the stuff that I've been doing and even put yourself under a vow that from January 1st, you will turn a new leaf. Any attempt to please God through resolutions, Calvin said, will never work. We cannot. We cannot. We cannot do good through resolutions and struggle. The story before us today is the story of Peter. And it is good that John is ending in this way. How will it look like? Last week I was uh, in this particular chapter and we look at how Christ was so gracious to the fallenness and to the folly of his disciples and how he came through and made provisions for them in their darkest moment without judging them. And if the scripture ends as the other gospel writer ends it, it makes it look like Jesus was not concerned about the denial of Peter, isn't it? If there was no, if this scenario was not given to us in the gospel, a lot of dark hole, a lot of dark holes will be left upon our mind as to how did Christ view the disobedience of Peter, particularly denying him three times. It was Brother Eliezer that gave an analogy. I don't watch these kids too much. I think he does. About uh, Mama Tao, I don't know. I mean, if you know Tao, I don't know. Tao, I don't know. I, I was, Tao, is it Tao, I don't know. Tao. And it's like Tao, the small Tao. If you know Tao's mother, is known for slap. Yeah? The skit will always end with a hot slap or whatever. It'll be slap, 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 that kind of a thing. And anything that the, the Tao would do, the small, I don't know, is it Tao? Tao would do, there will be consequences. And I think Eliezer was painting a, 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 a picture that what do you think will go through the minds of Tao? Tao breaks something, did something grievously. And the mom did nothing and just said, okay, come and eat. That kind of an idea. Some of us that grew up in some careful home. Anytime you commit sin in the home and your mom just gave you food to eat and said nothing, you'll be under torture. It's like, what is coming? You'll be thinking, what is why is this woman not saying anything? And if your mom said, if your dad and mom said nothing for three days, your torture, you are, you are really thinking what they would do. And as a child, if ultimately your parents did nothing about what you did, it's going to reinforce disobedience and make you think that your parents doesn't really care about your behavior. Church, are you following me to this point? Eh? How many of you grew up in that kind of a home where if you break daddy's glass or you, you break his 
transistor radio, or you, you flat around daddy's car or something, something is going to happen to you. Of course, we've moved on from that part now. Most of you didn't grow up in the house. We are not spanked. We are never flogged. How many of you have, how many of you belong to the generation where you were flogged? I mean, your head. Oh. <laughs> oh. Uh. My mom would say, if you do it again, I will punish you. But your cheek is already in, his, in our hand. He said, if you do it again, I will punish you. But already he's punishing, she's punishing you. Yeah. Or oh, how many of you will do something against your wife? I mean, there are children here. So that thing, you just do something against your wife. That big sin that women don't, don't really like. That particular sin. I hope you understand what I mean. That just, Phoebe, you understand? You don't. <laughs> and then your wife just find out that you'll be doing this thing. And there's even the product of this thing somewhere hanging. And, and then your wife just prepare your best dishes. You go chop. You go chop. That is what it is. If Jesus just came on the shore of Galilee and just gave them fish, they ate, and then he didn't say anything to Peter. Because what Peter did was that Jesus was standing like this. They asked him three times by the charcoal fire, do you know this man? He said, who? This man. I didn't know him. Again, they asked him, of course, you're a Galilean. Even your voice is so it's obvious you know this man. He said, me, I never know this man. The third time, he began to curse. And, some, and that cursing goes two ways. In, in, in Judaism, or in, at that period of time, if you really want to prove that you are not with this man, some, sometimes we, do, we, we give this interpretation to suggest that Peter was cursing himself, that say, if I knew this man, may God kill me. It is an aspect of it. But much more than that is that, for you to really show your inquisitors that you are not with this man, you start cursing the man. So, you understand what I mean? You begin to curse. You, you join them. And say, is it this man I'm talking about? This thief? This, this, this useless man? This, 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 this Kogi person? <laughs> that kind of thing. This, this, this Galilean? This, this Nazarene? You know? Of course, we are all from Kogi State, okay? So, yeah, you're not looking at me, you know? This, this, this Aboki, how? Look at me. I mean, look at us. No? That, kind of, that kind of line. He was really denying Jesus very, very, very forcefully and bitterly. And Jesus just looked at him and turned his face again. And you can imagine what has been going to the mouth of Peter. Peter was the first to get to the tomb. He didn't see Jesus, came back. Christ appeared in the house one, the same evening, showed himself. He didn't see anything. Peter had been commissioned to be the head of the apostle. What happened to his ministry now? He had denied Jesus. He's out of ministry. I hope you understand that. Christ came again. He didn't see anything. Christ appeared like three times. This is about three or four times he's appearing. He said nothing. Then Christ stood by the shore. Peter was trying to show that he still loved this man. He even jumped into the water instead of using the boat to reach Jesus to show his commitment. He's, 
to meet Jesus. He came out of the water. He said nothing. He even cooked for them. They ate. At this point, Peter was like, what is going on? So Christ waited for them to eat. And that's like my mom. You do something in the afternoon, my mom will allow you to eat. Most mothers, before they start punishing you, if they really want to punish you, they want you to eat first. I don't know if you grew up in that kind of a home so that you eat first. And then, like my mom, 4 a.m., 4 a.m., you will knock on the door. In fact, in the village door, even if you, don't, if you knock it, it open by itself. And then, and then your mom will be in there. He will be, my mom will carry a Bible and then a cane inside the Bible. And then wake you up. And then read to you the wages of sin. <laughs> And share the gospel with you. And sometimes when you share the gospel, you're like, yes. You want to even accept Jesus. There and there, you want to accept Jesus. So that you'll be happy. Whether you accept Jesus or not, at the end of the altar call, something will go down. Something will go down. Uh, not forget. <laughs> All these children that were not flogged, I don't know how they are going to look like in 50 years from now. I don't know. For the Bible said foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. It said the rod of correction will drive it out. It says strike a child with a rod, not die. But our own will die. This, this is as your mother said, they will die. No. But don't just by the way. So Jesus is confronting Peter here. And he said, Peter, now they've eaten. He said, Simon. No, this time he's not calling Peter. The way you know our parents, if they start calling your name, like Eliezer is Eliezer, is Eliezer Chibu, Chibu, Chibunyam, Maduka. Anytime our parents are angry, they call us by our second name. The local name. And they'll stretch it well. And they'll call you Bola. 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 How many times have I called you? Now, are you sure they don't know how many times they've called you? <laughs> they wanted to actually answer that you have called them three times. And Jesus faced Peter and is asking him, Do you love me? Because what happened? By the charcoal fire is the failure of love. Love was put to test in the, court, in the courtyard of the high priest. And Peter failed. And Jesus is turning the screw on Peter. You know, Peter denied him three times. And Jesus is asking him three times. The fact that Peter assumed that Jesus mistrusts his loyalty to him is paining him. And if mistrust is paining you, what is greater, mistrust or betrayal or denial? See? Three times. And these two scenarios happen beside charcoal fires. 
And if I'm the first prophet, I'll be able to tell you, don't use charcoal to cook again, no? Because around charcoal fire, things always happen. No, it's like I'm not the first teacher. And Jesus asked him, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know that I love you. Peter is getting better. You know, in Matthew chapter 16 and 26, in Matthew 16, Jesus spoke to Peter and the disciples that I am going to Jerusalem to die. And Peter said, Lord, you don't know what you're talking about. You're not going to die. In Matthew 26, Jesus told Peter that he's going to deny him three times. Peter said, Lord, you don't know what you're talking about. I, if it is me, Peter, it's not going to happen. So what Peter has been doing is that he thinks, even though he believes in a way that Christ is Lord, there is a space in his brain that thinks that Christ does not know too much. That he's kind of a colleague. Now he's getting better. He said, the Lord, you know. You know, that, you know what is in my heart. But look at the play of word here. There are two words for love that was used, that is used in this passage. There are three lo- words for love in Greek. You know it already. One is agape. Agape is the supreme love of God. Uh, the second love is uh, phileo. Phileo is from the word called phila, phila, Philadelphia. That is the, the love among brethren, brotherly love, brotherly affections. And then the third one is uh, eros. That is the romantic uh, sexual love between husband and wife in a heterosexual relationship. And I need to put that caveat. So Jesus looked at Peter and said, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter answered and said, Lord, you know I filial you. And Jesus asked him again, do you agape me? Peter said, Lord, you know, I filial you. And then the third time, you can read Greek, okay? You can ask uh, those who know Greek here too. I'm not making, I'm not making this up on my head, okay? I, I can put the text. You should, you should buy a projector so I can be putting those texts on the screen for you. And the third time, Jesus turned the screw again and said, Peter, did you even filial me? The first time he asked, do you have the love, the God kind of love for me? More than these. And that this could mean many things. The net, the fishes, his own self, any other thing that does share the place of love with Christ. And Peter is being honest here. He said, that kind of love you're talking about, I know I don't have it for you. But at least I know I love you like a brother. I have the filial kind of love for you. Are you, are you following the sequences? Now, Peter is not, because the, if Peter could say, yes, I agape you, that would be a big lie. Say, at least I filial you. I, I love you like my brother. Twice. I mean, that is honesty. I, of, of course, I don't love you to that extent, but at least I know I love you like, like, like a brother. And Jesus said, do you even love me like a brother? And Peter became so disappointed, angry, like grieved. 
boss, why are you talking like this? I love you. You know the heart of every man. I love you. I love you. Jesus said, if you love me, feed my sheep. Do what I say. The Bible says, by this, people will know that you are my disciples. By this, you are my disciple, if you do what I command. Peter, I have set you up to work. Do the work of a pastor. Do the work of an elder that have set you over my flock. Three things you learn here. The demand of love. If you love God, if Peter loved Jesus, three things, three things will be seen. And the first thing is the love of Jesus demand a duty. It's a matter of duty. If you love me, feed my sheep. And duty, according to dictionary definition, is something that one is expected or required to do by moral or legal obligations. The second definition of duty is the binding or obligatory force of something that is morally or legally right, moral or legal obligation. Feed my lamb, feed my sheep. It is not enough to say, I love you, I love you, and then you are not doing something by way of duty. You cannot just float in love and then pick and choose the convenient days and time to do things that are convenient to you. You are under obligation to do certain things if you are actually in love with me. Love of, at, at its purest form, demands duty. A man, a woman that is in love with Christ must be a dutiful person, and he works across board. It requires that Peter will wait upon the Lord, receive nutrient, receive food from God, from Jesus, and pass it on to the church. Peter, 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 on this confession, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Peter, you ought to stand in your office. This idea today, denial, tomorrow fishing, will not work. Love does not look like that. Sometimes we assume we love God. We don't. Our measurement for love is quite subjective and weak. Peter, do you love me? Do you agapow me? Lord, you know I follow you. If you agapow me, feed my lamb. Love demands duty. Secondly, love demands death. Verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. Verse 19. This is said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. <laughs> Jesus is restoring Peter back to, his, to fellowship and to his work, and he's telling him, this path of love with me will require that your life will be taken from you. It's not just a little girl just to chide you by the charcoal fire. You are going to be in Rome, and you will be killed, you will be murdered. 
And uh, historians tell us that Peter was actually crucified. And he begged them to be crucified upside down. He went to Tatcha. At this point, his love has been proven. I mean, who will be crucified and still have mouth to say, please, please, remove the nails, turn me upside down, you know? I mean, this man's love had matured. Love demands death. You know, I was preaching at some ages wedding from the book of Songs of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 7. And the book of Songs of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 7, says that if a man should give for the sake of love, everything, he will still be found wanting. Love is not that I do things, I do this, I do that. Love demands your entire life. Love consumed you. And if love is not consuming your soul, if your life is not like dead on the table for the sake of love, you are not yet in love. When I survey your wondrous cross, or the wondrous cross on which the king of glory died. My richest gain I can't but lose. And I pour contempt all on my pride. The last verse should be Isaac Watts. And it says, Where all the treasures of the nature's mind, there, were two, there will be two insufficient an offering to bring. And he and said, that's my, my line. He said, love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. Peter, if you love me, it will prove me one day, you will die. Uh, at that point, who will still follow Jesus? I mean, you are following a pastor, he's saying, you are following me, you will die. That's a negative confession. Huh? Love demands duty. Love for God is a matter of duty. There are some things you ought to do and should do. You are not at leisure to do what you want. Love demands that you die if necessary. And finally, love demands discipleship. And he said, follow me. Follow me. A disciple is, has been shown to be someone, I'm quoting a dictionary, uh, actually, Merriam Webster he said, a discipleship, uh, a disciple has been shown to be, a song, to be someone who follows the teaching, life, and aim of another until the person becomes like the master. Discipleship, in the Christian sense, is the process of making someone become like Christ, the disciple of Christ to become like Christ in everything. They follow me, follow me. It means from this moment, if you are in love with me, follow me. You can't follow me and follow fishes at the same time. A disciple is like you're looking at your master like, like, like a kung fu boy learning from the guru, and then you are following their steps, each of their steps, until you are like him, until you are like Jesus. Peter, follow me, follow me. And don't take your eyes off me. Be my disciple. And that is where Peter was kind of restored back to fellowship. At first, Peter was by the nets. And Jesus stood by the seashore and called him. Him and his brother Andrew were fishing. The fishermen. And he said, follow me. And now, Jesus is repeating 
That same call to, P- to Peter and say, Peter, now follow me. Are you following the gist of this whole thing? Is recommissioning, is restoring Peter back to fellowship and to work. Love requires discipleship. Discipleship requires death. It requires duty. A disciple follows Christ dutifully and if necessary, die. And one more thing to say about discipleship as I run to close is that discipleship requires focus and the idea of minding your own business. Look at verse 20. Peter, Peter is a man of mistakes. I mean, this guy has just been restored. And things have been made up with him and Christ. And Christ said, follow me. And, and as they were going, Peter turned and started looking at John and said, Jesus, You've told me now that I'm going to die. No problem. What about John? I mean, those who have big mouth have big mouth. And even when they are repenting, they have big mouth. <laughs> what about John? And Jesus said, what's the business? If I want this man to leave, even until I come back, that's not your business. But for you, Peter, follow me. And your destiny will be that you will die. What happened to John is a different kettle of fish. But you, 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 as you are following me, in, in the demand of your following me, death is involved. In fact, violent death, and with this death, you are going to glorify God. This, your death, will glorify God. As your denial disgraces God, your death will glorify God. As your denial was a disgrace, your death will be a glory to God. You follow me. Discipleship means focus, following the master. What happened to Andrew? Of course, it is good to, you know, sometimes we are so lousy in church that God is still working on you in your own sin. But you are talking about Andrew. Follow me. What I am doing with this brother John is my own prerogative. And what happened to John was that John lived one of the, one of the longest apostles that lived into his 90s. And this John, we learned that they tried to kill him. <laughs> they threw him into this thing. He was not dying. So they put him in the Isle of uh, Patmos. The guy knew they die. He didn't die. He lived. And then there's a myth around John now. And I'm saying, okay, Jesus said that John will not die until he comes back. You see, you see why, how error mushroom in churches, isn't it? That this guy, all the apostles, church, are you with me to this point? Eh? All the apostles, 10 or 11 of them, had died violently. Some of them were crucified. Some of them were beheaded. And this John, they will throw him into a hot oil. He will, he will bounce out. They will put him in a apartment. He will come alive. They say, okay, oh, it is true. Oh, we remember the words of the Lord. He will not die until Christ comes back. And then you are now building a theology of the imminent return of Jesus because John was obviously an old man at this time and all that. And he is the one writing this thing. And he's putting pen to paper, and he's saying, that is not what Jesus said. 
Jesus said, if it is my will for him to live until I come back, what is that to you? Is it clear now, church? So when you read the Bible, yesterday was in Hebrew, Solomon, I was talking about this kind of same scripture. Where, so, where is that scripture we were putting yesterday? Someone say, um, Solomon, do you remember that scripture we were looking at yesterday? Yes, if I'm, if, I'm, if I'll be lifted up, I will draw men to myself. And his former pastor was preaching from that scripture and was saying, if you lift Jesus up, Jesus will draw men to himself. If you praise him, if you give him a high praise, many of you were there, he will do X, Y, Z. And Solomon said, when he began to read the Bible for himself, the next verse said, this he speak about what? About his death. Following Jesus, if you, if you indeed love God, it demands duty. It demands death. It demands discipleship. Discipleship. Follow Jesus dutifully. And if necessary, will die. If Boko Haram surround this church now and say, line up, I'm sure I'll say to uh, members, you, I will be, I, I'm the one leading you out now. I'll be by the back. If my cowardice come to the surface, so to, let's start from the back. Maybe from David and Mema, let's start from the back. And they are not just shooting you. They are putting your neck on the chopping block to cut it for the sake of Christ. That's where love will be tested. You can sit here comfortably and say, oh, Peter, why? Peter, why? How many of you have been to Abacha Barak before? Have you been put in the boots of soldiers and driven to Abacha Barak before? You'll be confessing all your sin, even before they start touching you. We are like Peter. We feared. Even though there is affection in our heart for the Lord, but because our heart had not been yet conditioned to, we have not had the impartation of the Holy Spirit, we've not been fully converted and made conformable to the image of Christ, we are following him with emotions and with resolve. Me, I no go ah, no, 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 no. I no go deny Christ. Me, I no go take bribe until there's $30,000. And dollar is exchanging for 800 naira. And then I'm not saying, of course, this money can actually do God's work, you know? This money, we can plant churches around Africa. Yeah? But it is a bribe. Uh, even Jesus turned water to, uh, uh, to wine. Whatever is in the hand of God, he turned it. God can turn water to wine. Even if it's a corrupted money, if it's in the hand of the servant of the Lord, it becomes a miracle. Love. Let me run to my application. The first point of application I want to leave with you today is that we must be honest to God and ourselves. When Christ asked Peter, did you love me? With agape love. What did he say? What did he say? He, because he knew now that the man standing before him is truly God. That whatever he says, Jesus knows. He knows. Be honest. Be honest to God. Honest to God. You see, sometimes when a pastor visits you and says, brother, 
How far with your Bible reading? Where are you now in your Bible reading? You don't want to look like a weak brother. He said, by the grace of God. No, where are you in the Bible reading? Already, you are still in Exodus by November. You are still in Exodus by November. I now say, Pastor, actually, I'm not really reading sequentially. Where are you? Where are you? The plan was that from January, you are reading line by line every day, 30 minutes per day, 40 minutes per day, and you ought to have been by now, where? It should have been done in second round. And if you are doing a single round, you should be by around maybe Titus now. I'm not honest. You cannot hide from God. What God knows about us is what we are, not what we say. I know I love you. I love you. you know Nigerians. We are full of flatteries. You know, baby, do you know I love you? Do you know I love you? I will die for you. I swear. You are the only cockroach in my in my cupboard. You see me as I see me, so I will enter well. And then the foolish girl is blushing. He doesn't know there's a devil with two horns wearing suit before her. The Lord knows. We can flatter our girlfriends. We can flatter our boyfriends. We cannot flatter God. Even the kind of love we think we profess, God is even saying, Peter, do you even really follow me? If I'm really your brother, is that how a brother treats brother at that time? Let's just take it for granted that you don't have the, the God kind of love for me. Let's just you have filial for me if I am your brother. Same father, same mother. And I've been arrested. And then they're asking you, not even soldier, a girl is asking you, do you know this man? You could even say, actually, Actually, and then run away from there if you can't even say anything. You stood there warming yourself three times and saying, I don't know this man with a curse. So much for love. Who we are in the sight of God is who we are, really. We must be honest to ourselves. To ourselves. When you are telling your wife, I love you. It's only God that knows what we are talking about. You are looking for something. And most of our wives now know. If today I start telling Joy, Joy, you know I love you. You say, ah, well. You know, sometimes after our wedding, we say, I love you, I love you for one week. And as the months, as the year rolls by, I mean, I'm confessing. <laughs> Is it okay to confess? Eh? As the year rolls by, you don't just wake up every morning again and say, I love you, sweetheart. Everything become mechanical and, and straightforward. <laughs> so, of course, we are used to that now. But if today now I say, Joy, you know, I love you. I will die for you. You will say, okay, get to the point, get to the point, get to the point. Secondly, we must be restorative in our relationship. You see what Jesus is doing? Look at what Peter had done to Jesus. Brother I, if it were you, what would you do? See, you see me so? As I did now, I don't get brother, I don't get anybody. 
and not trust anybody again. Jesus could come back, forgive Peter, and recommission him to the work he gave him to do before. Many of us will not do that. They say, once beaten, say, if this guy can deny me when I'm here, when I am gone to heaven, ah, then you call Andrew. Say, Andrew, I try your brother, it didn't work. You take over his office. In our relationship, we should be restorative. That's how you be, behave like Christ. No matter what people have done to you, if they come confessing, forgive them and move on. This idea of I can forgive, but I cannot forget, it's not a Christian thing. When God forgives you, he no longer holds your sin against you. But you, you forgive today. Next week, you say, when we're in Obama, you did this thing. Uh, last time we were in uh, Ekiti, you did this thing. I mean, come on. How are you becoming like Jesus? We must be restorative in our relationship across board. Thirdly or fourthly, your love is not total if, it's not if, it, if, the, if love has not consumed you, if it, if it does not demand your life, your life. If there are areas of your life that your love does not cover, it's not love. Love demands that you die for Christ and also for your family. Jesus, uh, speaking to the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5, he said, husband, Love your wife as Christ loved the church and that he gave his life. Many of us, to our shame, your wife is sweetheart as long as she is healthy and is responding to your carnal needs. Your wife begins to fall sick often and you can't get what you used to get. Parade change. That is not right. Love is total. You love the entire person and you love completely. Your entire soul, your entire being is in the business of love. Either loving God, there are two commandments. That we love God with the whole of our mind, with the whole of our strength, with the whole of our being, and that we love our neighbors as ourselves. And finally, in the business of following Christ, you have to learn to mind your business. All of us in this church are at different stages of growth in following Christ. Mind your business. You can be concerned, you can show concern, but mind your business. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. If half of this church choose not to follow Jesus, Follow Jesus. If your wife refused to follow Jesus, follow Jesus. He has called you to follow him. And that is your preoccupation. What others are doing with their own calling is their business. And they will be accountable to God. Because some of us now have developed ministry of criticizing other people, isn't it? It becomes our preoccupation now to, to point to the pastor who is not preaching well, and you, your focus is off Christ. Follow Jesus. And one of these days, if that question is asked again and again, do you love Jesus? 
Let your testimony be God. You know the heart of every man. I love you. And may we be lovers of Jesus. And when he comes, he will give you the crown of glory that can never perish. Father, help me to love you. I can't do it by a resolve. Help me to love you. I've betrayed you again and again. It's a testimony that I have not been loving you as I ought to. Please be merciful to our backsliding. And let the fire of love be kindled in our hearts. For whatever does not proceed out of love for you is useless. Amen.